welcome to another episode of Saying the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today I'll be discussing Season 4, Episode 9, which is titled The Destruction of Justice. Dun dun. The episode aired on December 11th, 1997. Lauren, what was going on that week 24 years ago? At the 8th Annual Billboard Music Awards, Leanne Rimes takes the Top Artist Award, while the Spice Girls take the Best New Artist, which, hello my childhood. Flubber is the number one movie at the box office for its second of two weeks. And Candle in the Wind, 1997, Something About the Way You Look Tonight by Elton John continues its run atop the music charts. Daniel, what else was on? Shout out to my mom who took me to see Flubber in theaters. Don't know if it was like one of the two weeks that it was number one, but it was definitely around yeah. this time. I have a very specific my, memory of that. My mom did as well. So I, I had. Sorry, go ahead. Go, no, I distinctly remember it. It's one of my earliest memories. Memory memories. I don't know. It's one of my earliest memories in a movie theater. Um, I had the toy like robot, mm-hmm. the floating robot from that mm-hmm. movie. I had the little yellow floating robot toy when I was a kid. Yeah. How excited are you to talk about nothing but Titanic in that movie slot for the next like year? Yes. <laughs> yes. I think uh, we have one more week of non-Titanic, but then we might have to start highlighting what's number two at the box office every week because that's true. We may yeah. have to. Titanic's going to get as a little much bit as, rough. Yeah. As much as I like Titanic, we may have to swap like it out. Blank a bit. debuts, but Titanic is still number one. Yeah. Uh, as far as what else was on that evening at 8 p.m., friends with the episode "The One Where They're Going to Party." exclamation mark at 8 30 p.m union square rises from the dead back from uh the hiatus uh with the episode no sex till after homework which sounds very upsetting out of context holy shit uh (laughs) at 9 p.m seinfeld with the episode the apology and at 9 30 p.m veronica's closet with the episode veronica's brotherly love good god why are all of these episode titles so upsetting tonight holy shit i I did not like i just kind of mindlessly wrote these in i did not read them in context beforehand this is bad uh step veronica what are you doing right this week's episode had (laughs) 31.7 million viewers tuning in down just a little bit from last week's episode This week's episode is directed by Richard Thorpe, doing his seventh out of 31 episodes over the course of the series. A previous one of his from this season we have done included When the Bow Breaks. And this week's episode is written by Lance Gentile, finishing his run of seven episodes. A previous one of his, or last one of his that we talked about was from last season, Tribes. That would be the one where Mark did a racism. Ah, yes. You have to be more specific. (laughs) what this show this time around well it was the one where he kept doing a racism repeatedly like he Ah, kept stepping in it and then at the end we had the nice uh after school special ending and it was all wonderful and they played basketball and there was never any issues with racism in this country again we fixed it so previously on er is handled by doug and then we go into Jeannie at home is in the kitchen taking her morning meds and al joins her and he's like oh good morning groggy and she says she has to go in to sign some papers at the hospital. And they it, it sounds like they just got back from Atlanta from, um, you know, Al visiting friends and maybe job hunting. But since they've been back in Chicago, he has not been looking for a job, only looking at the sports pages. And he really thinks that the high-rise job in Atlanta is going to come through. So he's hedging his bets there still. Jeannie sounds like she's still kind of on the fence. Then uh, we go to the ER proper, and Antspa greets Carrie. Dr. West is setting up some computer software. Old Clancy Brown making his presence known. Um, Carrie says that Jeannie left without a word yesterday. 
We'll see how much that holds up this episode. Uh, Anspa is concerned about her kicking up a fuss regarding her dismissal. And it's so weird to hear Anspa, uh, hear uh, Anspa called by his first name, being actually called Donald. She always calls him by his first name. It's so weird. Yeah. She calls him most of the time. Isn't it mostly Donald, too? That yeah. Call- yeah. Like, not even Here Don? She, she keeps calling him Don, and I like I had to rewind it the first time because I thought she called him John at first, and I thought she had called the actor by his name. Like, I thought she had fucked up because his name's John Aylward, so I thought she had mm. fucked up, but no, it's Don. It's very strange. Speaking of very strange, um, sorry, I couldn't pass that segue up. Cynthia greets Mark in the lounge, teasing him for his snoring and how hungover he is from how many margaritas they had. And she goes, oh, I went to put on your present, but when I came back, you were out like a light. And she then, like, is like, okay, turn around. And she closes the blinds, opens up her dress, and flashes him her lingerie. And she's like, oh, take two of these and call me in the morning. And, like, the, like, you understand she's trying to be sexy, (laughs) but it's, like, the dumbest version of sexy you possibly could be. Like, the most saccharine annoying version of it which is a shame because that lingerie is really pretty yes and we've said it again and again mariska hargitay is a beautiful woman in this show i have blinders on and i cannot see it i know objectively she is but i can't see it yeah it's a testament to how like for lack of a better word how cringeworthy this character is that like you can manage to take an objectively beautiful woman like this and you, the only reaction you have to her is, please get off my screen. Like, it's please, good. please go away. <laughs> you know, because, like, I hate that we're following up on what we talked about last week, the world's worst sex scene to end the episode. We've had to have that thrust back into our uh, viewfinder here. It's like, uh, just make it make it stop. And in with the bangs. If any episode had deserved twinkles so far, it's this one. But we are in with our bangs still. And... Then we go over to Chuni is greeting Carol and Carol says, oh, you know, Doug's car broke down and he'll be late getting back. And then she runs into Mark and Cynthia coming out of the lounge looking all shifty. Gross. Just gross. So do we think Jeannie's let go of this job yet? No. No. I don't, no. I don't think so. So let's listen to her meeting some lawyers at Doc Magoo's. Jeannie. Hey. Uh. This is Harold Percy, and this is Barbara Lehman. Hi. I'm Jeannie Boulay. I filled them in as best I could. Thanks. I gotta get to work. Good luck. Would you like a cup of coffee? Decaf? Always. Dr. Doyle said you were fired from your PA job because you're HIV positive. Is that true? Yes, I believe it's true. I was reprimanded for doing a life-saving procedure in a body cavity. A few weeks later, I was fired. And the hospital claims it's budgetary reasons. Well, they always give other reasons. Were you ever disciplined before? No, never. Actually, I was October's employee of the month. Oh, good. Did you keep a log of what was said? No. Is it too late to do anything? Not necessarily. We're going to outline a protocol for you to follow. I warn you, it might get ugly. I want my job back. Good for you, girl. Yeah. I still, like... Granted, we ha- as the audience have the full scope of like we can see we're privy to conversations that Jeannie is not, but like I still like I I just don't know how genuinely Jeannie believes that her firing or her la- her you know being laid off really has anything to do with her HIV status. Like I, I think I it's just think a convenient excuse. 
Yeah, I, well, I want to say this. I don't think she does, but I also think that given how she was treated when it first came out, she's fully willing to use it. Right. To kind of get yeah. back at them and keep her employment at a at a job she loves. Yeah, it's it's a card she's willing to play, and you know, good for her. Yeah, it's like yeah. Carol said, you've got to find your ammo and fight for what you want. Yeah, for sure. She happened to find her ammo. Yeah, I'm not blaming. But I don't her think she in, believes under, it under any circumstances. Not blaming her for it, but it's just, you know, I, even in a private moment when she's not, you know, with these uh, folks, you know, like talking to Al or or just just kind of confiding in, in with herself, you know, like I just don't know. I, it's hard to get a read on where her mindset is at a certain point. You know, it's almost like, and and some of the way, some of the way that her emotions range throughout this episode, it f- almost feels like she convinces herself that it was because of her HIV status that she was let go uh, in spite of kind of what she maybe knows to the contrary, but uh, in she's, any bit- she's got some double thing going on. And a you also bit. have to think that there's, you also have to think that there's other PAs still employed there too so you have to think that you have to think that she's thinking why me right a model employee except for that one incident yeah and then just oh that one incident i'm hiv positive let's put you know two and two together here Mm -hmm. not saying it's true but that's i can imagine that being a a line of thought that she had right have we also noticed too how uh doyle has essentially been relegated to dr exposition in genie's storyline like yep. mm-hmm. Doyle has essentially been reduced to existing to further Jeannie's storyline and nothing else. Like she, she was, yeah. uh, she had that little run in with Carter at the very beginning of the season. Um, then she just disappeared, fell off the face of the earth, came back to tell Jeannie that, Hey, there's, there's resources out there, whatever. And then she has this little like five minute, uh, not even uh scene here where she's like, Hey, here are these people. Cool. Bye. And then we just don't see Doyle anymore. And it's like, man, how how the mighty have fallen there. She's really, really fallen out of the spotlight. Honestly, like even in going back, I've never I've never actually like been a huge fan of Doyle's character. But seeing just how little she used, I could have sworn she was a much bigger part of this show. Oh yeah, me at too. This point. Me too. I mean I, I always knew she was somebody who was kind of unrealized potential. I knew she had a lot of um there were a lot there's a lot of meat left on her bone when she leaves um and as i recall too she's a character who just as she's really starting to turn the corner and get interesting that's when she leaves and so i'm expecting that to be the case um as we're going through again i'm expecting that you know just as we're starting to round the corner on doyle and think hey she's pretty great but bye gone forever so we'll see uh, but we go from there back to the ER where we see Carter asking to borrow a dollar while Randy and Anna are chatting at the soda machine. Get to see Randy for the first time in a little while. Mm-hmm. Hooray. Uh, Carter uh, doesn't obviously doesn't have any cash on him. And uh, Anna says, uh, they say JFK never carried cash either. And then just as they're uh, talking here, they get interrupted by uh, what's that? An upsetting storyline. Cousin Chase makes Jeez. his first mm. appearance. Uh, we hear him coming in from off screen calling carter scooter uh showing off a nasty spider bite that needs a and it needs a closer look and chase here is played by actor jonathan scarf uh who appeared in stuff like the equalizer 2 uh probably the better equalizer i have no idea uh the van helsing yeah (laughs) it's at least equally as good as the first one right 
Someone, courtesy laugh, come on. The Equalizer. Ah. There it is. Okay. Uh, the TV series Van Helsing, uh, among other things. This is his first of eight appearances through 2001. Did you, did either of you yeah. realize that he was going to be that long term? Like, I, I knew that the, yeah. I knew it, I knew it, it was a storyline that does not have a happy ending, but I thought it was wrapped up much quicker than this. Like, I did not think it dragged on quite that long. 2001. No, because I remember, I distinctly remember late in later seasons, spoiler alert for Chase's storyline, um, he does end up drug overdosing and ends up essentially. What's what's the term that they used for the old people? A gork. Gorked. Gorked. Yeah. yeah. He's unable to take care he, of himself. He, yeah, he overdoses hard on drugs and is in a home. And after Carter's whole same run-in with addiction after after he gets stabbed, one of his one of his big come to Jesus moments involves that him actually going to see yeah, Chase. You're right. Mm-hmm. You are right. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, Chase. Yeah. I think it's in season seven. I yeah. think and that, that's that what tracks. I remember more about Chase than this early stuff. Yeah, and I think it. If correct me if I'm wrong, um, Lizzie, but I I think we get more bad with Chase than good. Like we get like he he's not somebody who like is here for you know, and we get to see the all the good parts of him and then something tragic happens. I think it's like almost immediately he's a mess yeah it's pretty quickly yeah because you can even tell like in this opening scene with him you're like oh he seems really smart really unnecessarily happy (laughs) well yeah (laughs) yeah he does seem a little bit up he's he's kind of like what we would expect carter to be knowing what we know about their family yeah with his attitude on everything yeah i think that's fair but i like his character i think he's really good for carter so yeah he's he's a good interesting playoff for sure uh, but after that, uh, we have Ellis meets uh, Mark at the Advent desk. There's a little tension about the new attendings from Synergix starting next week. Uh, but he should. But then Clancy Brown goes to show Carrie a new fancy dictation machine, <laughs> to they, they so they can dictate their notes on the fly instead of having to do it in that dark room where you fall asleep and Corday brings you tea. Um, and it puts everything directly onto a floppy disk. Wow. All like 45 you three, seconds. You mean a 3D printed save icon? Yes. <laughs> yes. That can store three uh, point something megabytes. I think that's what they were. Yeah. Because I remember my brother. I remember my brother was so excited when he got like the special like ones that were like three times as thick. <laughs> but could hold like 10 megabytes. Oh, boy. Or like twenty or something when he was doing like projects in college on computers. I will say it it has not happened as many times as I was expecting it to going back to a show that is, you know, with each passing week getting older and older. Uh but it is always nice when we get these moments that yank us so far back into the past where it's like, holy shit. <laughs> like they're dictating mm-hmm. into a little microphone that that comes out on a floppy disk like you could probably fit about five minutes worth of recording onto that if that really unless it's at like 12 kilobytes per second yeah. or something quality or something yeah like i'm not even sure you could fit our intro into a floppy disk like i don't think yeah like uh, i'm sure you folks know like our episodes average about what like 60 70 yeah. megabytes yeah and we're at like 120 kbs which is pretty standard like radio quality it's it's just it's nice to when you get that kind of like perspective a little bit of just seeing how far we've come 
Like that this was yeah. this was the new hot shit in 1997. What's the awkward thing that happens with Carol and Cynthia? Well, Carol and Cynthia are in the bathroom together. At least they have the decency not to pee right next to each other, like um, Doug and Mark. But Carol confronts Cynthia about how sex in the lounge is inappropriate and asks for a little more discretion because it might make some people uncomfortable. Cynthia says they didn't have sex. She was just trying to cheer him up and that Carol should be happy that Mark's happy. See, this is a real whiplash effect because I'm going through and I'm watching Grey's Anatomy for the first time ever. (laughs) And like they blatantly make like every single person at every single person in on that show knows everyone fucks in the on-call room it's so gross like <laughs> it's just a wide everyone knows there's so much goddamn sex on that show so this is just really weird seeing carol being like that's inappropriate well she does it more because she doesn't like cynthia i think i don't think it has I mean, anything that's to fair. do yeah. with her not approving of the action i think it's just because it's cynthia she has the same reaction that we do which is ugh. yeah please leave uh, Please leave our friend alone. <laughs> but we go from there. We see Jeannie showing up back to work. Uh, she has decided hmm. that she is not accepting the layoff and uh, gets actually gets quite a bit of support from the staff. I believe it's Hale who kind of gives her a pat on the back and is like, you go, girl. Because we all yep. we all know Hale is a union gal. Hale, yep. Hale don't mm-hmm. fuck around when it comes to labor politics. Yeah. We then go over. We see Carter examining Chase and his uh, spider bite. A bite that I must point out looks absolutely disgusting. Props to <gasps> props to the makeup and prosthetics uh, work there, very well done. Uh, and we get so we get what I think. Do we ever? This is a good question. Do do we ever establish uh, whether Chase is a uh, maternal or paternal cousin to Carter? He makes it sound here the way that he's talking about the family mm-hmm. kind of history. He makes it sound like it's paternal paternal so that would make him that that would make him also gamma's grandson right because it makes it sound like it's gram gamma's husband who he's talking about when he says grandpa right who again correct me if i'm wrong lizzie never really factors into the equation right like grandpa carter grandpa carter never really (laughs) mentioned seen referred to so we're still kind of molding the structure of the carter family here a little bit where I guess is I guess he probably is Chase Carter. I don't know if they ever like make that official. Like I, I don't know that they ever refer to him as anything other than just Chase, but because um, that would answer it for us. But um, so they're still kind of playing fast and loose with the structure of Carter's family. Because remember back in season one, it was Carter's dad who had all the money, and we'll see in later seasons that Carter's dad is really just kind of like a trust fund baby and doesn't really have much in the way of established wealth it's really gamma that's got all the purse strings so now we're hearing that it's grandpa who's searching for a successor to the carter family throne or whatever and it's just we're still kind of working out the kinks as far as how the the carter dynasty works so it's interesting to see them kind of working this out in real time um then we go over to oh geez i really don't like this Mm -mm. story just because it hits a little bit too close to home lately um carrie goes to see a gentleman named Mr. Jackson um, who's having a sickle cell crisis. And I don't really know anything about sickle cell, whatever. Anemia. Yeah. Other than that, I know that it affects people of color more so than white people. Um, and someone stole this man's uh, Percodans at the bus station. So, but he has a normal pulse and temperature, uh, but he's reporting 10 out of 10 pain and carries suspe- suspects drug seeking behavior. 
and he insists that Demerol is all he can take and begs her for a really high dose, but only gets a tiny bit, like 20% of what he asked for 250 of Demerol and uh, Carrie's only going to give him 50. Yeah. And this hits close to home to me just per- like oh, quick, before I get into this. Who plays him, Daniel? Uh, he's he's definitely kind of a little bit of an oh, hey, it's that guy. Uh, actor's name is Hill Harper. He had long-running um, roles on both CSI New York and the TV series The Good Doctor, um, as well as the movie He Got Game, among many others. And like I was going to say, this thing kind of hits close to home just because I've been in the ER emergency. I've been in emergency rooms the last couple times for new and expanding chronic pain mm-hmm. sources that came out of nowhere and are very severe. And I'm the type of person, you know, I've been living with, I've been living with chronic pain for, for a while now, so I can mask it pretty well. So like my eight, nine out of 10 pain, I'm not going to be like doubled over. Right. Like going, like I'm going to be moving very gingerly, but I'm not, but like I can have a conversation right, you know. Like I'm probably at a seven or an eight right now, and I'm doing this podcast pretty cl- uh, pretty clear, you know, pretty coherently. I'd like to think. Um, so you know, it makes me always anxious going into ERs for pain related reasons because I'm like, I I'm not a drug addict. I'm not right. here to like to scam drugs off. Like you. I just need a quality of life. Yeah, like I just have new really searing nerve pain that I'm scared about, and I want to get checked out. And, you know, I actually really hate taking opioids. They do not agree with me at all. Um, so I'm very, very glad they don't. So I don't have a, <laughs> have any inkling of abusing them. Um, but, yeah, so it's just seeing stuff like how Carrie treats this gentleman, Just it just makes me anxious because I've had similar treatment. Not necessarily the exact same, but I've had, like, similar vibes. Like, oh, this person's just trying to get drugs off us mm-hmm. so yeah it's, it's a stigmatized uh complaint and it is only been further stigmatized in the years since this episode by the spread of the opioid crisis so it's it's yeah. one of those things that like i'm sure if i asked jen about it like they they probably definitely have their list of frequent flyers that come in and out of her er and you know, there, there are just certain people that that is a reality for. And, it, and and that's not to necessarily demonize those people either, because those people are suffering as well. You know, the, the vast majority of opioid crisis victims are they don't want to be doing that thing either. You know, they don't want to be drug seeking either, but it's just they're depend They're literally dependent on it. They cannot live without it. And then you right. and then you and have there's... people in Lizzie's boat who are legitimately suffering from pain and are forced to deal with those sideways glances and the, you know, doubts from med providers and things like that because of it. Well, and it's even such a fine line because there's even that third camp, not necessarily with people like Lizzie with the, the emergent pain, but there's also the people who've suffered because they are chronic pain sufferers over a long time. Those medications are the only ones that give them any quality of life, no matter how small and they have to take higher doses just because they've built up tolerances, and now to all of a sudden have everything tightened up, it makes it so much harder for them to get any quality of life care because they're just automatically lumped in with drug-seeking. Right. Which, again, addiction is a real illness. We're not here to demonize addicts, but like there's that there's those three camps, and nobody's happy 
with how this is being handled. Right. Nobody's getting what they need out of this. Like, it ain't great, fam. So, yeah, this, this episode specifically this week for us was a bit tricky to watch just for Mr. Jackson's case alone. Yeah, this was this was part of why, like, I texted you both uh, kind of as I was watching it. I was like, Lizzie's going to have a field day with this episode for <laughs> for some unusual reasons. And this was definitely one of the reasons why I was like, I'm really interested to hear their thoughts on, you know, how this patient is addressed, how he's handled and everything. And um, I imagine it would be a difficult thing to to watch, especially especially since the, the stuff you've been going through recently. You know, I feel like it's hitting very yeah. close to home. After spending 10 hours on in Northwestern's ER getting assaulted with pain medicate various pain medications to no effect. Ugh. It was super fun. I loved it. Everybody keep Lizzie in your thoughts, please. Been an interesting couple weeks here at STT Studios. Assault Chicago. is the wrong word. Being being injected with Yeah, I was like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, although the one guy who gave you your morphine pretty quick was a bit oh, of a, an assault on that your was, stomach. That was awful. Um but then our first big trauma of the episode comes in. This is a rollover TC. Traffic collision. Did you? Thank you. I could not for the life of me figure out what that acronym was, D- Daniel. Um, this is a mother and daughter who were involved in this accident. Um, Dr. West is helping Carrie in the in trauma one with the daughter. And that is a squirter of a wound from her leg. Yeah. Not great. So um, Ellis is getting his hands all dirty trying to help stabilize the wound until they can get anything figured out. She has, sounds like she has a possible larynx fracture based on how she's talking. Um, Elizabeth and Benton pop in and work together to analyze. And then Benton goes to check on the mom and just got a note. We're back. Whose films are those? And it is time for a thoracotomy tray because the mom is arresting. Mm. And the, the daughter here, which we actually never really get to hear anything from the daughter. She's unconscious pretty much the entire episode, but I did want to note because I was surprised to find out that this is her first of six appearances as this character. So we're obviously getting something huh. of a mini arc with this character. Um, called me completely oblivious because I have no memory of this whatsoever. So I'll be interested to see where this goes. Uh, but she's played. I recognize the hair. Yeah. Um, mm. She's played by yeah, by she... an actress named Michelle Morgan. Um, and this is kind of her most notable role. But uh, yeah, first of six appearances. All right. Yeah. She has very distinctive blonde curly hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of faded. Um, but then Chuni says she's glad Carrie is reconsidering the PA cutbacks now that Jeannie's back. Yikes. Um, Mr. Jackson is shouting for help because he says the Demerol hasn't done anything. And Carrie advises Carol to give him a slower dose of more, just like a trickle dose, and give him four tabs of codeine and street him. Real compassionate, Carrie. Real cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, Carrie approaches Jeannie, and Carrie threatens to have her forcibly removed from the premises. And Jeannie's just like, you do what you have to do. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, Jeannie, Jeannie is ice cold this episode. And yeah. some of Gloria like, Rubin's, like, understated best. Like, bitch, I am taking notes. Can we have her back just to talk about this, please? <laughs> Like I know she's I know she's got the reunion coming up and everything. Yeah, but I was golly, say, gee, by, by the time you're by the time you all are hearing this, the reunion will have come and gone. But uh, we, of course, just found out about it what yesterday or day before. Day before, yeah, day before, two days ago. Yeah, so it'll be very interesting to see how deep into the weeds they get. I, I can't imagine with a with how many people are going to be on there. I think they're they're calling for at least a dozen of them. So I can't imagine yeah. they're going to get too deep in the weeds on any one thing, but it'll be interesting to see how it'll be nice to see them all back together in one place again. 
and and how great for Gloria Rubin that they were able to organize this for such a cause that was near and dear to her heart. For sure. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we unfortunately learned that the mom from the traffic collision accident has uh, died. And Benton says you will inform the daughter after she comes out of surgery. Then we go from there. We see Mark being greeted by our buddy Herb in the hallway. Uh, and he's very uh, <laughs> insistent that he you know, gets to play doctor today. He wants to know where his scrubs are going to be. Um, but while Mark wants him to maintain, obviously, as low of a profile as possible, uh, he says, if anyone asks, I'm just your attorney. I'm running research uh, on your work to provide a proper defense. You know, so and so I, I did consult uh, STT uh, uh, legal counsel, uh, Jake Terrell Esquire. I did consult him about this arrangement. Um, and oh, good. Basically, what he said was that it would essentially all of the legal responsibility here would fall on Mark like that mm-hmm. herb here is you know he's more than he's more than within his rights to waive his fee you know in exchange for you know other services or whatever um but it's on mark if mark lets him play doctor as he's requesting all of that uh, legal responsibility is going to fall on mark's shoulders it's not going to come back on herb in any way so i thought that was interesting because i was like this is, there's got to be some like legal questionability with this whole thing um some dumb liability stuff. Yeah, it's got to be. But we go from there over to the admin desk. Where we see uh, Carrie uh, asking for Anspa to call her to uh, update him on the genie situation. Uh, then we see Chase coming up to the desk with Carter, asks him to go to lunch at Shaw's and just tells him, eh, just blow off work. You know, just just get out of here. You don't need to do this stupid job. And just as, uh, just as Carter is somewhat considering this, a woman is wheeled in screaming that she's been ganged up on. It's a husband and wife. Eddie, the husband, screams that she's going to jail. They both seem to be under the influence of something, whether it be drugs or alcohol or some combination of both. Uh, The wife, Darlene, is uh, being brought in under arrest for running her husband, Eddie, over with a car. Uh, So, like I said, they have her handcuffed. Uh, She says the guy that arrested her works with her husband in the police motor pool. So that seems great. No conflict of interest there. Something just doesn't add up about this whole situation. And this will definitely be a, something of a running plot thread. I guess, would you call this our comic relief for this episode? Like, I guess for... No, because it because it leads to Carter's storyline. Yeah, but I guess just these, so. their, their, their specific ending, Darlene and Eddie's is... I mean... I mean, I guess, but it's also so fucked up in the meantime oh, yeah. that it could easily go a much darker place. So 100%. I don't know if I'm, I'm I'm hesitant to call it a comic relief, and that's something we can get into in the very end of the episode on thoughts. Fair. But. Um, just quickly, uh, Darlene here is kind of a little bit of an oh, hey, it's that person, uh, played by actress Megan Cavanaugh, who appeared in stuff like Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Miss Congeniality 2, yes. a voice in Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, the Nickelodeon series, and the movie A League of Their Own, where she played one Marla Hooch. Love that movie. Robin Hood, Men in Tights is one of the funniest movies ever. Don't at me. I've seen it, like, twice. Yeah, same. It's fine. It's fine. <gasps> it's beautiful. Wait, you don't love some... Some Mel Brooks and Carrie Elwes. I mean, I do love Carrie Elwes, but it's it's fine. Yeah, Carrie Elwes, ways, yeah. ways, ways. I always mispronounce his last name. It's fine. I can't say Noah Wiley. Dude, cuts his foot off. Of the time. <laughs> uh, mostly go- dead. Huh? He's mostly dead. Nearly dead. Nearly helpless, Nick. I don't no. know what you're talking about. Princess Bride. Oh, I've seen that movie. I think didn't we? Didn't you make me watch see, that movie? Now, that's yeah, see, the one you see, should be here's, standing. Here's the unfair thing. 
Lizzie's sitting here going, Robin Hood Men in Tights is great. We're both sitting here going, it's fine. We're talking about a true classic Princess Bride. Lizzie says, I made her watch yeah. it. Imagine imagine standing Robin Hood Men in Tights when a Princess Bride uh, exists. Let's go up to the <laughs> OR floor. Uh, Elizabeth and Benton are arguing whether or not they can save young Allison's leg or not. Uh, Benton doesn't think they should. He thinks they should just do a straight-up amputation uh, just with how shocky and unstable she is. And Elizabeth wants to attempt a weird procedure to save it. Um, and Benton's just like, oh, she's a good guinea pig for you to practice on. Mark catches up with Carrie and asks Carrie why Jeannie is back. And we find out that legal can't deal with it because Anspa is in a closed door meeting and she needs to consult with legal and Anspa to get it taken care of. So Carrie's just like, she's not back. We're working on it. And then we have Herb screaming on the phone in the lounge, talking to a man named Irv, probably my stepdad. <laughs> um, Mark, Mark brings him some scrubs and asks for specifics about Herb's plan of defense for his case. I didn't really realize Herb was in the magazine business. You never know. It's a sketchy, sketchy land. That's true. Um, Anna and Harder then walk in as Cop and his uh, buddy are talking about how they need to kill the bitch. They're clearly plotting something. So yeah, about that much darker storyline. Um, he says, and the buddy says to the guy who was in, the guy who was injured. He says, "No backing down this time." This is fine. It's fine. It's totally fine. This this is fine. Uh, Carter tries to stop the cop and nurses from taking the woman's blood, though, as she's constitutionally pr- protected from an unauthorized search as she is refusing this. So, so yep. get your get your ass a warrant. And and this was the other half of what I thought uh, Lizzie would particularly take interest in. This episode was the uh, question of constitutional civil civil protections civil rights and just burn down the entire burn down the entire concept of modern policing just burn it all down yeah this so this has um doesn't end the same way um as it does for carter here uh but this has happened to jen uh this she has had this she has had this situation come up where a uh, an officer has brought in somebody uh, under the influence and, or, you know, allegedly and demanded blood and urine samples and all this other stuff, you know, and, and in any event, like the cop basically threatened her to uh, go to jail if she didn't give him what he wanted, basically what? comply. Yeah. Cop abusing his power. What? No, but yeah, so it worked. Uh, it, she, she stood up to him and was like, basically like Carter here. No, fuck you. Come back with a warrant. And, uh, you know stood her ground so good but it it has happened there is precedence as i'm sure you were probably aware but oh i'm sure this happens all the time i'm sure it happens multiple times a night all across the uh, country in different er's but um so we go from there uh we see (laughs) we see herb coming out so we do get to see doyle again this episode very briefly but uh She's yep. working on a patient out uh, by admit and Herb walks up and just immediately starts talking about how to treat this injury um, somewhat adeptly. I will say, you know, he's not completely yeah. fumbling here uh, and she just assumes that he is a synergics attending uh, since they're supposed to be trickling in. So convenient excuse uh, for Herb to be there. And Mark sees this and is horrified and sends him off to the lounge with a pig's foot to practice sutures. So he's trying to trying to do his best to keep Herb out of the way. 
uh, we then see Doug. Uh, uh, Doug returns with a bunch of Peds cases to work on right away, and uh, barely, barely gives Carol more than a hello as she kind of has to check herself when she comes running up to him to give him the like grand return uh, thing, and uh, then has to remember, oh shit, we're at work. So she kind of has to dial it back a little bit, and he rushes off. Uh, we then see Ellis washing his shirt, and he invites Carrie to a, on a trip to St. Bart's to give her a break from the current employee mutiny. Uh, says that there's a conference down there, and she can present on, quote, inner city ER management. You can see Carrie kind of mulling it. She's kind of a little bit into it. I mean, who wouldn't want a, vac- a paid vacation? Under the guise of a um, presentation, yeah. yeah. One lecture, and you're there for the week. With a ruggedly handsome man. Well, let's not get carried away. He's that's fair. Prime sleaze in 1997, Clancy Brown. <laughs> he just hasn't become a drill sergeant yet. Or oh, actually, no, he has at this point because we are we've already passed. That's right, through we have Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers. Yeah, that's true. Then after that, we go over to Mark uh, checking in on how the rest of Doug's trip went. Uh, seems it was weird. Think what was the what was the um Mark or not Mark Doug went to his dad's new wife's like parents' house yeah. to yeah. tell them what happened to her. What was the what was his step his new stepmom's name? Sherry Sharon or something Sher- like that. I think, it was, I think it was Sherry. Yeah, yeah. Basically, basically, it was awkward. Yeah, it was it was weird. But uh Mark has Doug help him examine a younger woman with insomnia and loss of appetite. Uh, but it's really just Carol stocking a room and Mark's sentiments so they could say a proper hello. Uh, so it's so much better to see them kissing than Mark and Cynthia. Uh, but of course, Cynthia walks in right after she was told off by Carol. Poetic justice. Oh, yikes, 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 yikes. Um, then Carter asks Mark what he should do about the consent to the blood draw. And Herb steps in to give him more details and, like, goes off on a little legal spiel. Kind of like what Jake does for us on our show. Um, and then Carrie tells Jeannie she can't be treating patients. Jeannie logs the interaction that Carrie took her off treating an ankle injury or something at 2.30 p.m. Anspa finally calls and Carrie is so elated. But he calls for Jeannie, not Carrie. And Jeannie is called up to his office and the cop comes back and asks for her stomach contents right as um, Carter has finished pumping um, this woman's stomach. And because the warrant does not officially ask for stomach contents, Carter dumps it down the sink. Not gonna give him, not gonna give him the stomach contents because wasn't on the warrant. Uh, Carter is arrested. And Mark is following him out, asks what the charge is, and the cop dramatically goes, obstruction of justice. Said the name of the episode, he wins the episode. <laughs> Debate. Best boy, Carter. Yes. Good job, Carter. Uh, speaking of justice and such, uh, let's go up to uh, the administrative floor uh, where Jeannie and her lawyer are talking with Anspa and Carrie. Her HIV status defines Miss Boulay as a person in a protected class and her firing constitutes an adverse action by the hospital. Her layoff was budgetary. We would argue that was pretext. And ignoring your progressive disciplinary policy and firing an exemplary employee after one incident proves discriminatory intent. Why don't you take a seat, Carrie? I don't want to take a seat. 
If you're reinstated, you'll let the matter drop? Yes. Well, we'll have an answer for you today. We appreciate your time. We can't cave into this. It's blackmail. Our only option is to hire her back. The media would swarm all over a federal case like this. You know what? You pushed me to make the cutback. What about the budget? Her PA salary is nothing compared to the risk of the countless pain and emotional suffering lawsuits from the patients she treated. Do you know what this will do to my authority? Well, you're strong, Carrie. You'll survive. So there's a lot there. <laughs> and this is where we really start to see the cutthroat Carrie that everybody complains about. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, yeah. And, I mean, in Carrie's defense, it genuinely seems like she meant no malice towards genie when she fired right. her and that's a and it's a total upper management move to dump shit like this on middle management and then shit on them when the cards are down like that's a total yeah. like upper middle management game is to you know d demand that you do x and then when x blows up in the whole company's face they will then do an about face and say, well, why didn't you do Y? Well, you made me do X in the first place. And they'll be like, well, sucks to be you. <laughs> like that's suck it up. Yeah. Bitch. That's, that's <laughs> totally something that I have, I have been a part of on both sides and uh, it's not great in either scenario. So it's like, I'm firmly on genius side with this, but also I get where I get how Carrie's getting shafted and all. Yeah. I too. totally empathize with Carrie here as well. Like I think she's put in an impossible situation. She maybe doesn't always handle it perfectly, but she's human. And, um, it's just, it really is an impossible situation. So, uh, we go from there up to the uh, surgical floor where we see Elizabeth Benton and Romano working on the femoral transplant. And Elizabeth wants to finish, even though the girl's condition is rapidly deteriorating. She is not doing well on the table here. Uh, we'll check back in with them here shortly. Uh, we see Mark asking Cynthia to come find him when Rachel is supposed to get dropped off later. It's been a little while since we've seen Rachel, as I recall. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll be she's supposed to be getting dropped off for a dentist appointment. So he asked Cynthia to come find him when that happens. And uh, Chuni uh, says that the cops are leaving and that Darlene is all theirs. And they go into the trauma room. This is where the, a little bit of the comic relief comes in, where they go into the room to find her all over her husband. Um, they are like full on making out and all entangled on the trauma gurney. Oh, I'll never do it again. Oh, I was just angry. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. So. Uh, and then we go from there, uh, we go to the jail where we see Carter being booked into jail, uh, getting his fingerprints taken, getting his mugshot, and uh, the guy, the cop who is doing the fingerprinting and taking his mugshot is actually our high watermark actor for the episode, a uh, total oh hey, it's that guy, never the star of anything, but has been in literally everything. Uh, the actor's name is Jack Keeler. He's in stuff like Lost Highway, Fever Pitch, Men in Black 2, Waterworld, among many, many other things. 169 credits to his name. Uh, and just tells Carter as he's taking his mugshot, no smiling. Because Carter tries to do his little baby Carter smirk. Uh, and Carter does try to play the, you know, my family knows a guy card. And uh, gets him nowhere. Yeah. Family's friends with the superintendent or yeah. something like that. Yeah. I also believe the guy who's booking him... Um, was also in Avengers, probably. Like I said, he was in like he's a the lot guy. He's the guy who finds uh, 
Ban- who is the guy who finds Banner after he f- after Hulk is flung from the from the helicopter? I don't think so. He looks really similar, but I think that's technically a different guy. Okay. I think it's a different guy. Fair enough. That's immediately what I thought I saw him, and I should have looked it up. Oh well, uh, but Sickle Cell guy is back. Yay! <laughs> uh, Carol brings Doug this time in to look in on him, and uh, Doug is much more compassionate with him and is much more how every doctor should be when you're dealing with someone who claims to be in a lot of pain um doug uh, has you know he's not going to give him the he's not going to give him the the what did he, what do you want he wanted Demerol, Demerol, yeah. What he wanted yeah, yeah so he's gonna be like let's try something let's try something a little bit different just to see if it works and he gives him a he gives him a iv drip of dilaudid instead um and he's having the kid, and he's having the kid close his eyes and start doing visualization exercises to help calm him down, and to help him work through, and to help let the drug uh, while the drugs do their thing, right. just to help keep him centered and with it, isn't it? So because uh, stress can bring, uh, he says stress can bring on his uh, his sickle cell crises, yeah, his attacks. Isn't it so interesting how one of the kind of obviously the central focus of doug's character development over his time on the show has been centered around carol and kind of his attitude towards love and romance and all that stuff but a a sort of smaller focus of his character growth i think has been all centered around his attitudes towards pain like he's oh like Uh that's obviously going to be the thing that gets him fired ultimately or you know not he he quits but you know it's gonna be the thing it's gonna be the thing that causes him to leave eventually but this is a an approach to this patient here that i don't necessarily think that season one doug would have taken you know oh absolutely i think season one doug would have taken a much more bullish approach with this patient and would have just said well it's a drug seeker and we're gonna you know fix this with force and he takes a much more sensitive, much more kind of patient-focused approach with the uh, with this guy, and it's just kind of such an underrated aspect of his growth arc that doesn't involve Carol really in any way, or doesn't involve his own personal relationships. It's all about him growing as a doctor as well. It's lovely to see Doug be as compassionate with adults now as he is with kids. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Perfectly stated. Exactly. It's so cool. Well said. Um. But then. We find out that Jeannie has her job back, retroactive to her clock-in time that morning. Yes. Malik and Halei are both at the admit desk when she's given this news, and they're both like, hell yeah. And Malik is like, you know, let me know if you need anything. Happy to help. So they've got her back. Um, And Carrie says, you know, you and I both know this was not about your HIV status. And Jeannie just says, do I? And walks away. Ice cold. Nails it. So good. Such a good moment for, like, all four of those characters. It's such a short but sweet interaction for all of them, and it just nails the point. But then we go back up into Allison's femur surgery, and she is crashing. Things are not going great, and it's time for the crash cart, but they have to crack her chest to get to the embolus that is causing all of this to go wrong. Mm-hmm. So Elizabeth is starting to kind of, you can see her panicking inwardly a little bit like oh my god did i make the right call on this surgery as she and rocket are working on like getting this girl's chest open like she starts to really reflect on her life choices in that moment this is one of the 
yeah like freezes up yeah in the middle in that moment too yeah visibly distressed and it's also one of the few times i think you see romano certainly it's one of the first times but it might be one of the only times really that you see romano get visibly uh like i don't know what the right word is like it's not upset but he like he does get a little bit like yeah he gets a little bit impatient with elizabeth where normally you know he is very like he kind of worships at the altar of elizabeth a little bit sometimes but or or at the very least they're on this very even playing field between the two of them like he clearly respects her abilities as a doctor but here it's like he's like come on hurry up corday like what the fuck like he's very like he's on her ass it's one of the few times i think you really get to see that uh but then we're gonna go back down to the er uh mark and her are reducing a patient's pulled shoulder uh dislocated shoulder fun times um i think curb is just providing counter traction while mark actually pops the thing back into place yep. um and rachel's at the desk with cynthia reading the tabloids and making fun with, with a woman with a large derriere um and <laughs> Uh, Mark asked Cynthia to take Rachel to her dentist appointment because Mark is swamped. I want to point out, you guys made fun of me for saying hoot unironically <laughs> a couple episodes ago. You just used the term derriere. Yeah. We're not saying I'm too Midwestern anymore for this show. <laughs> I never said you were. You both implied um, it a little bit. Oh. 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 Just going to squeeze right past you there. Oh, this is my hell. We do this all for you, gang. So in What's the next? chaos, uh, Herb steals a chart and starts to walk away and try to sneak off to handle his own patient but mark catches him and uh as they're talking about this a man starts crashing in a nearby room and while mark is trying to get things organized and set up herb just uses the crash cart without even asking anybody and just goes for it uh and it turns out okay actually ends up saving the guy luck luckily before any of the code blue team make it into that yes room. yeah they were calling for a code blue and yeah. they had not arrived yet when herb decided to take things into his own hands yikes uh we then go out to the street where we see al chasing uh genie down by what streets are these lizzie chicago geography expert by state and lake is i wasn't paying it too much um, attention let me see to geography this, you said state and lake yeah but. it's because it's right by the state and it's by the chicago theater and oh. the wow bow and the um yeah, yeah, yeah that's state the and green lake. line platform. Yeah. yeah i've definitely been when we were in chicago we walked past that theater so i know we've been in that area that was one of that was one of the primary l platforms i used to get to and from work for a very long time right out of college it's it's a very it's not a great platform it's there's no escalator it's stairs the whole way and it's a lot of stairs (laughs) when you're when you're doing it every day twice a day not so much fun cardio in there is i I we we met many interesting pigeons on that platform i miss the pigeons on that platform (laughs) every day was leg day when i commuted to work on that trip Mm. So, but yeah, that's also where I graduated college was the Chicago theater. Oh, I bet that was cool. Fun fact. It was pretty neat. So, uh, Alice chasing Jeannie. So Alice chasing Jeannie down the street to let her know that he got the high rise job in Atlanta, but she has news for Al that she got her job back. Awkward. Uh, he tells her that, uh, well, she should just ditch her job. And, uh, then he's like, when she hesitates, he's like, well, you just think that you can't depend on me that this job that i have down in atlanta is fake and uh two of them seem to be at a bit of an impasse here uh, i think we're i think we're rounding the rounding the final corner on uh genie and al unfortunately or yeah no fortunately fuck that fuck al Boulay. um <laughs> but what yeah no fuck al Boulay and 
he can go yeah. away. We we will get a little bit of resolution on this uh, before the episode closes. But uh, we go back from there and uh, see Carter is eligible to get bailed out, uh, but he needs $100 cash to get out for his bond. And uh, unfortunately, the prison doesn't take credit cards, and Rich Boy is not carrying cash on this day. So, uh-oh. But... But next up, uh, got our next audio clip for you. Things are looking up for Mark. So let's hear what him and Herb, how their conversation goes. That was an unbelievable feeling, the power of life and death in my hands. It was hey, were you trying to get me fired? Oh, forget the deal, okay? It's over. You're out of here. Mark! Cool it, huh, Herb? Mark, Randy's getting ants on phone. Could you talk to him about getting Carter out of jail? Sure. Somebody's in jail? Are you a doctor? No. Herb Spivak, I'm a lawyer. Oh. Well, one of our interns was arrested for destroying evidence. Uh, There's no problem there. Get a bail bondsman. He'll be out in the morning. By the way, Mark, your lawsuit's gone. <laughs> what? Sorry. Sayonara. Caputo. I just got off the phone with Mickey Everett, the attorney for the law family. We convinced him to drop charges. Really? Yeah. You'll have papers drawn up in a week. Well, how'd you pull that off? It just so happens that Mickey Everett and I are part of a billion-dollar class action against Big Tobacco. We're looking at maybe a $10 million legal fee. Nobody's pushing away from that golden goose until it's plucked clean. Uh, Mark, I want to ask you, can I have this as a momentum? Yeah, sure, you can. Uh, That's the doctor who saved my life. Thank you, doctor. You're, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, take care. You look great. Unbelievable. Medicine, that's a calling. Listen, Mark, Morton some night for a steak on me. Thanks for a thrilling day. I love Dan Hedaya. I wish we could have had him as, like, a tertiary <laughs> character just as the legal counsel for the hospital, like, that this had led to some backdoor hiring of him into the hospital, yeah, like, payroll, yeah. and that he could have just come down and been wacky as schmackety for... Because he would have been great... If you want to talk about comedy C plots, oh my god, him just getting into patient bullshit. And you think about you think about some of the doctors that would come along after this. Can you imagine him and Morris? Like, yes. him and Morris would have had a <laughs> fucking field day. Like that would have just been, oh, mm. I'm so sorry that we don't get that. So yeah, that's that's my dream like C plot that could have happened in this season. This series would be if like that had worked out this is the last we see of him uh no he i think i think we might get a little bit more of him currently um but he will be around in one form or another until 2005 um I'm, oh yeah oh yeah that's right you're right. yeah i'm that. not 100 percent. i'm trying to think of what that would be like i guess 2005 would be what season 11 so uh, we know it doesn't have it no season like 12 or 13 probably well, 2009 is when the show ends and that's 15 so oh yeah yeah no i was thinking in 2007 was when so, I, I don't know but I'm, you're I'm you've got your gray's timeline and when gray starts <laughs> yeah, this into is your all... brain. but in any event because i've been doing a lot of ref- in any event i know that i know that whatever he is doing in 2005 ostensibly probably won't have anything to do with mark so he's gonna come back in some capacity i just don't know what that's gonna look like but we'll be surprised when we get there speaking of surprises daniel you're giving me great segues today um jen has shown up great um she's she's she runs runs into mark in the hallway and uh they're looking for rachel because she should have been back from the dentist by now and he's like oh well let's just go wait in the lounge she should be back any minute now and they open the lounge door and there are cynthia and rachel reading like a magazine or something in the lounge and rachel's hair is insane <laughs> like they spray painted eight different colors into it it's gelled up it's ju- it's 
peak 90s ridiculousness. Like I what an, love it. What an eight-year-old would have thought was cool in the 90s. It's great. I think that's what a 32-year-old <laughs> thinks is cool in, in, two, in 2021. Well, we'll take you to get your hair done right that way then, sweetie. Sweet. Um, but yeah, because Cynthia took Rachel for a makeover. They both got makeovers after after the dentist was done. Jen is pissed because this was not a parent-consented field trip, and she looks like a moron. And uh, Cynthia was like, oh, but it made her so happy, and she looks so cute, and, you know, this is what all the teenagers are doing. And Jen rightly responds, she's eight. Like, an eight, like eight-year-olds don't get to make that call, necessarily, at least not without their parents. Like, uh, my mom let me pick between... I put down an ultimatum of wanting red hair or short hair, and my mom got me back. I had a bowl cut <laughs> in oh, first boy. grade. I look like a little Please mushroom. Me there's photographic evidence so yeah, of no, that. there is. I will, Daniel. Next time I go home, I will take a picture of my like first or second grade yearbook, <laughs> and I will send it to you. I promise. Um. I will find my yearbooks and I will get a picture for you. They do exist. Um, it was when I did short hair the wrong way. In elementary I'm school. I'm sure you were just cute as a button. No. Don't you it, know? I, was a, I had a mushroom for hair. <laughs> it was with how curly my hair is. It was a hoot. It was a freaking mushroom. It was not a hoot. Um, but yeah, then Cynthia apologizes to Mark after Jen leaves. And he plays the passive aggressive thing where he's like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And she just keeps apologizing. And he's like, it's fine. And he's like not facing her and sh- literally physically trying to guard his body language from her being near him and she just does not take the hint at all she's like it's fine mark tell her how you feel get rid of her um but then doug we go back to doug and mr jackson and he gives mr jackson some oral dilated and sends him off just to get him through until he can go get a new prescription for um for his attack and everything and carrie yells at doug for helping an addict and what's so wrong with helping an addict hmm yeah, not great. Showing a little humanity and compassion to someone. Which is weird, because like, it's it's so strange, and I think this is why Carrie gets a bad rap, is because the spots where the writers choose to have her show and her compassion are so hit or miss, because they want her to toe that line, mm-hmm. like, really well. And so it's it's episodes like this one that make people call Carrie, and I'm paraphrasing here, a heartless bitch. Yep. Like, yeah. it's... But it's so sad because we all love Carrie and we know yeah. she's capable of so much better yeah. than this. And and I think too, Carrie is I don't I don't know that there really is a better example of a character in this show who really does encapsulate what it means to be shades of gray. Like Carrie is not a black or white character. She is not benevolent and nor is she evil, uh, or vindictive. Right. Like she's she's arguably one of the more human characters in the entire show, like truly human characters because she does have flaws and she does have, uh, hypocrisies and she does have, uh, you know, she just has these things that she's clearly passionate about and she's clearly feels strongly about. Um, and then, like you said, a little bit of it is victim of, of the writing and the usage of her in the writing where they choose to show her compassion in inconsistent ways and then they choose to show the uglier sides of Carrie in also inconsistent ways. And so she's a character that I think is one of the more kind of complex layered characters out of any that we get over the whole 15 seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think you can really put her into a box of like good or evil. Like she's human. But 
but she's a woman who's not perfect, so she's a and bitch. And she has short hair, don't forget. Not a bowl cut, but she does have short notice, hair. Notice my satire, listeners. There is heavy sarcasm dripping throughout that sentence. Um, but yeah, then, then Doug and Carol are talking, and I think it's Doug says to Carol, I think the crown is weighing heavily on the queen's head. So he just kind of rolls his eyes and goes with it. Um, and then we find Mark going to his car, and Cynthia is there. Gah! And <laughs> apologizes again. She just shows up. Constant vigilance. We're still not. We're not a, still not a peak. Uh, peak Cynthia. No, yet. not yet. But we're getting there. Um, but she meets him out there. Apologizes again profuse, profusely, like near tears, completely overreacting. Like, oh my God, boundaries. Communication is great, but this is too yeah. much. Um, and she's like near crying, and she says, "You know, Rachel's really happy and really sure of herself. You must be a really great dad." And, like, I'm wearing your present and heels, and it's cold out, and my feet hurt, and it's, like, way to just make it about you again. My man. Like, instead of instead of acknowledging what you messed up on, just mm. pull the sympathy card, make it about you. Uh, my man needs to get his prescription checked, because the red flags are just coming out of this girl, like, left and right, and he's missing every single one of them. Well, it's it's like those discussions about, like, saying... Um, I'm sorry you feel bad mm-hmm. is not a real apology right. because it doesn't acknowledge your action in the situation and it doesn't acknowledge a willingness to learn and grow. <laughs> this is peak example of that. Sure is. It's like, let me turn this around and red flag out my ass. Let's go to jail again, shall we? Uh, Carter's Better than hang- Cynthia. Carter's hanging out in jail. Cellmate is just sitting there cracking his knuckles, staring menacingly and... um. Carter is all scared that something's something's going to happen um, when uh, the gentleman just uh, asks him what's the what this red bump on his leg is. And then Anna ba- uh, ter- and turns out Anna bailed uh, Carter out and he just randomly kisses her when he gets out. Like, oh, OK. And she doesn't immediately recoil. Yeah. And you know what? I will say neither did I like. I no, as no. as inconsistent and as underwhelming of a character overall as Delamico is, she's one of the few uh, attempted romantic interests of Carter that I don't immediately like think was a bad idea. Like she's mm-hmm. one that like I feel like was a, a could have been an even match for him, much in the same way that you know Kim would go on to be later on. Like he he a lot of Carter's uh, romantic trysts are very ill-advised on one side or the other or sometimes both looking at you carter and abby uh but like there's it's just always a bad idea oh that's right oh that's right i forgot we're not, we're gonna get to the shipping wars on this podcast in a oh, few yeah. seasons once abby is in, are you, once abby is involved. are you team carter abby i didn't hate them oof oof i really enjoy i really enjoyed oof I don't them. I don't I don't Listeners. know that audio is an adequate format for me to express the level of oof that I need to the the tea we have just uncovered like, here on setting the for tone. my money for my money that might be the worst pairing other than other than maybe okay let me think about this let me really think about this what about Benton and Carla we just complained well, about but I, I'm talking season. about like I'm talking, about, talking about doctor main doctor main okay. pair like yeah the only other one I could think of that even compares is Sam and Luca. 
like that's the only other one I can think of that even compares on on a <laughs> level of like what are you doing with your life? Like what how did you get how did you, you get here? Do you prefer Luca with Sam to with Abby? No, Luca and Abby is still the OTP is still my number 2 OTP of this show. Okay. Um second only to Elizabeth and uh and Green. But, and Green. Obviously, but Green Carter Day. and Abby. Carter and Abby yeah. is toxic. Like Carter and Abby is the perfect example of what not to do oh, in a relationship. Well, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> we're getting into the shit now. Let me rephrase this. <laughs> let me, let me, let me, let me take a t- let me take a tangent here. <laughs> well, we're already on a tangent. What have I done? I like them from an entertainment perspective. I think their relationships make for excellent. Okay. Okay. Excellent drama. Excellent television. I like watching their relationship play out from uh from an i'm watching a tv show perspective sorry for that random noise um (laughs) like do i think do i agree with you that they're toxic absolutely and i think they were doomed to fail right from the uh, from the start but did i enjoy but do i enjoy watching sam and luca and carter and abby play out Wait, Absolutely. wait, 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 wait. I I thought of one that's even worse. I thought of one that that trumps all three all like it's it's clearly the top one. Uh is it Luca and is it Luca and um uh shit uh, Carol? Yes. Yes, of course it is. Because everyone forgot that that happened and everyone tried to forget that that yeah. happened. Like gah, There's actually that that one's actually That one is awful. terrible. I I can't judge anybody because I don't hate Ray. So oh, I I have no don't taste. Get, don't get it's, me it's started fine. on. No, I no I like Ray. Yeah, that's right. That's Dan's yeah. hill. To, that's yeah. Daniel's Absolutely. hill to die don't on. Don't get me sorry. started on that. When we when we get there, you I, I'm gonna be insufferable when we get there. I cannot stand Ray. <sighs> All right, manic pixie dream Neela. So we, that's a different story. We got so much bring to it, look forward to. Bringing it listeners. back to December of 1997, where we started this goddamn episode. Uh, we see uh, Benton bringing some tea in for Elizabeth. We learn that Allison is comatose and Elizabeth is ashamed that she made her choice for the surgery based on ambition, not purely on wanting to help the patient. So getting a little bit of insight into uh, Elizabeth's thinking here. Um, a, a little for my, and, and again, to be, you know, put a pin in this to be determined because obviously there's going to be a little arc with this. This patient is going to come back uh, for a few episodes. But for just this episode, this feels a little bit underdeveloped or undercooked for me. Like I would have liked to, I would have liked to dig into Elizabeth's thinking a little bit more. Um, but obviously, we're going to get more of that in future episodes, so I'm not going to judge it too harshly. Uh, and then after that, we get a brief little scene of Carrie walking down the street after work. I think also in that Staten Lake area, um, crying and not looking great because oh look, she suffers from chronic pain. Oh yeah, did we talk about her saying that people who have pain just need to suck it up and deal with that it? That was a yeah. thing she said. Okay, I couldn't. That was a thing she said. I couldn't remember. I know we didn't get the clip, but I couldn't remember if I had put it in the notes to but, discuss. But yeah, yeah, so she has to sit down at a bench and gather herself. I wasn't sure if it was because of pain or if it was just because of the stress of the day. No, it was because she's visibly in pain. I thought she was just distressed from how no, awful because the work you could day see was. you could see her favoring the the mm-hmm. hip, fair her hip, so. It's almost like you should have a little more compassion for people like yourself, Gary. Um, then the weirdest cut. Yeah, then the weirdest cut. Uh, we go over to our final scene, which we have audio for. Final scene of the episode. Uh, got Jeannie in her closet, only to find all of Al's things are packed up. Jeannie. 
just went to gas up the car. I thought you'd gone. Hey, say the word now. Pack your stuff, too. I can't, Elle. My life is here. My job is here again. I've worked too hard. I can't just walk away. Come on. With all the abuse they put you through. I know, but it's made me realize who I am and what I want. I can't tell lies anymore. We've been through a lot. Can't just throw that away. You've always been able to make me laugh. Make my head spin like when we were teenagers. Yeah, well, give us some time. See what it feels like. I'll call when I get there. You do that. Poor Jeannie. She should have just stayed with Greg. Yeah. She could have been first lady by now. <laughs> so bum! Ah, uh, yes. Uh, and this is our, our yeah, final on-screen appearance for Al Boulay. Uh, we, we hardly knew ye. Wow. Yeah. There will be, there will be more uh, references to Al, but he will never be seen hmm. again. Um. So, okay. which and as shitty of a guy as Al Boulay is, um, the story overall, I mean, because seeing as this is the end of kind of the on screen portion of Jeannie and Al, I feel like now is as good a time as any to kind of sum it up. I think, um, as shitty of a guy as Al is, and as tragic of a story as this is, I do think it's very well done on both sides, and I do think that. As we, we we talk a lot about how good Jeannie is and or you know Gloria Rubin and how well how much she brings to this, um, and of course obviously it's because we get to see more of her she's more prominently featured. But in these scenes where it is the two of them together, I don't think we've given nearly enough credit to Michael Beach for what a um, what a like competent scene partner he is for Gloria Rubin, like how he is matching her intensity and matching her energy, and you really do feel this intense um deep complicated history between the two characters and how um you know they are they're parting ways here and it's very sad you know even if even if both sides probably know it is for the best it's still they still manage to get across the requisite emotion here and i've i've enjoyed his time on the show i've really really liked having him around and i'm gonna uh, as much as i'm not going to miss al the character i am gonna miss seeing michael beach because he's a really good actor that's fair yeah. See, you can play a shitty person, but still be entertained by what's on See? what's on screen. Speak. Uh, speaking of Stanley Tucci. <laughs> oh, there's... Wait, what's... <gasps> Wait, what? Moretti. What? Yeah, no, like what? But like, how does that work into? Well, because Moretti's he plays a, a shitty, shitty character. Played by a, a... I guess. Oh, okay. We we got some stuff to get into. <laughs> did you with black that. out? <laughs> like what? <laughs> Were you... Abby oh. did. Ah. Oh. <clears throat> oh. Oh boy. Season 12, bitches. It's coming. Not fast enough. Season 12, right? I think that's where Something it is. Something like that. Oh, God. Yeah, it's on my timeline is... every other day, so I just... It's it's constant in my head. Or is, no, or is that season 13? I forget. It's we got good. time. We'll Phase get four of the show. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm sad to see Al go just from that perspective that the performances have been great, and he and, he and Jeannie are great foils for each other, but also... 
I'm glad for Jeannie's sake because it means her story will finally be able to have some more forward momentum. Yeah. Now yeah. that she's fought for herself, her husband, boyfriend, partner, husband. Husband. Um, is is out of the picture theoretically for good, even with some side mentions. Like, it's gonna be it's gonna be good, not good things, but it's going to be some good character momentum for Jeannie moving yeah, forward. Definitely get to pave the way for her to be with a cop briefly. Can't what. Yeah, can't win them all. I said, unfortunately, nothing good ever. Nothing good can stay for for Jeannie Boulet. Unfortunately, like this this poor yeah. girl just can never have one nice thing. It just always gets taken from her. Hey, she has she does have a nice thing by the end of well, she yeah, does. But even he, he even he inherits the, nice the curse, thing. despite the fact that he is uh, her adopted son. Uh, even he Fair inherits. Enough. But anyway, so I was very meh. On this episode, you were overall, yeah, I was very whelmed. I didn't like a lot of it, and but I but there was some good bits in there. So me personally, like I think I've already said my piece on the parts that I don't like about it. Uh, rating? Hmm? I would probably give it a six out of ten. Okay. I I think it's uh it, it may not knock your socks off as far as like heart stopping action or signature patience or anything like that. Um, but I do think it's a it's an interesting episode. It's a thought-provoking episode. There's lots of stuff in here. There's complex issues to be talked about, as we've done over the last hour. Like, there's, you know, the whole yeah. uh, pain-patient thing. There's the, um, you know, doctors protecting their patients' rights aspect. There, there's definitely things you can sink your teeth into on a conceptual level, but you're right. It doesn't really come together to be this, like you know super dramatic or super memorable thing it's just kind of an interesting thing to you know kind of wrap your mind around for an hour but yeah um i'm i'm gonna put mine kind of in the middle of the road here where like lizzie said there's a lot of things that i don't like about it and there's like some great things to enjoy about it but for me even the things i don't like about this episode i still find myself it's kind of a love to hate situation for some of the stuff that shows up in this episode like daniel said it's still intriguing enough that it keeps you like okay what's Mm -hmm. gonna happen next so even if it's not the most fascinating and the most like well thrown together of the episodes it's still right in a really messed up yeah i think i think more genie like more of her situation would have been called for. I think um, more of Carter's uh, deal. I think that would have been a, a, a big thing to kind of really draw from um, as far right. as like what you would cut to make room for that. And I know, I know we keep saying it, but just honestly, like I, I could lose Cynthia yesterday and nothing would be different. And I would be much happier. Yeah. Like, I don't feel, I feel like, I feel like at this point, because her and Mark, and I don't know if this is intentional or not, but because her and Mark got together before he had his big emotional denouement at the end of Fathers and Sons, it feels as though she is part of that previous version of Mark. And it feels like she's holding Mm -hmm. him back. And it feels like he has been spinning his wheels ever since he came back from that episode. So um, that's kind of my biggest, like, we could clip this out and give that extra screen time to adding a little bit more juice to Jeannie's story or adding a little bit more juice to particularly Carter's story. Cause I think that was a really, really interesting concept to build an episode around protecting patient rights. Um, and uh, it just didn't really like, 
or, or Elizabeth's storyline too. I, I I totally blanked on that too. And like I said, that's gonna that seems to be a little bit more long term storytelling. We're gonna do like a, a s- small arc with that, so I'm okay with that taking a more slow burn approach. But every all of the really good elements of this episode just feel a little bit underdeveloped. And I feel like if you'd have just really minimized Cynthia or just removed her entirely, which would be my preference. But if you just like minimized her and gave that screen time to all those other storylines, this episode would be much better for it. Yeah, I would have I would have enjoyed seeing Herb run around more. Yeah. Oh my god, Herb. Like please give Dan Hedaya yeah. more time. Anytime we can give him more screen yeah. time, I'm all for it. Yeah. yeah. Just replace Cynthia with Dan Hedaya. But but don't change but the storyline. Still have just, him date just Mark. Replace... Still have him date Mark. Right, exactly. Don't <laughs> yes. don't change the storyline. Still have the weird lingerie. <laughs> the lingerie. Still have all of it, but just have it be Dan uh, Hedaya. Make him wear the lingerie and flash mark at the beginning of the episode. Oh, we just fixed it. We did it, gang. Oh. Our work here is oh. done. close up shop we got one bit in that made me that made me go for the episode we're good what did the listeners think about this episode lauren (laughs) uh well friend of the show jake terrell esquire says my man dan hedaya is a national treasure and is my early pick for best guest star of the season well shit i can't call it now damn it yeah um Michelle K says, oh, the whole cops protect their own storyline is so topical, completely disregarding that an employee apparently beat the crap out of his wife and wanting to, quote, get the bitch as punishment is just a little too on the nose for 2021 police mentality. Nothing has changed. Of course, we'll see it again in future episodes, especially the one where Gallant and Pratt are forcibly and physically detained slash arrested as, quote, matching the description of murder suspects. And Chen learns that she should be more careful about giving a description as, I think I saw a black guy leaving. Very good points. Franner W says, Chase, heartbreak emoji, love the whole spider bite ruse and that it goes right over Carter's head in a massive foreshadowing of addiction and manipulative behaviors and what it is to come for him. It's subtle, but Delamico's face when Chase says, I can see why you got into medicine. It's perfect. Sickle Cell Crisis, oh, hey, it's that guy. Did he end up with a main role in CSI New yes, York? Good catch, good catch. Uh, Laura Inez is peak weaver in this episode and brilliant with it. Giddy at the prospect of a bit of afternoon delight one minute, then stressed out and pretty damn pissed with Jeannie Anspa and his capitulation. She does it so well. Also, my Cynthia Rage appears to be now at clinical <laughs> levels. Laugh cry emoji. I think I think that sums it up right there. <laughs> my Cynthia Rage appears to be at Laugh Clinical cry emoji. levels, laugh cry emoji. That's that's where I'm at, certainly. All right, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. The show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. For only $5 a month, you can get access to the full season recap episodes, a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, and two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews. Also, once our stretch goals are met, you'll get access to a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and pop culture at that moment, as well as monthly movie reviews where we watch a movie featuring an ER cast member and pick it apart. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Setting the Tone Podcast. And we are at Setting the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also be sure to check out the official Setting the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. 
And Laura, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me retweeting absolute nonsense on my personal Twitter at lowbob92345 and complaining about how tired I am. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter similarly complaining about things. Uh, I'm at randomgamer, that's G-A-M-3-R, as well as on the Popular Quartz YouTube channel doing a Let's Play of Pokemon Shield. Uh, new episodes of that are out every Friday, and you can find those videos and much, much more at youtube.com slash thepopularcourt. Thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time. Have a great week. Bye.